Hello, everyone. Since this is either a highlight, a standalone book, or the first episode in a series, I'm jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal. We do not read books about real people, and we are not reading historical fiction. The second rule is that we are basing our analyses off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, nor the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. And I'm Robin, and this fortnight on Books That Burn, we're discussing River of Teeth by Sarah Gailey. Uh, This is the first novella in a thus far two-novella series. I recommend getting it as the omnibus volume American Hippo, but this episode is just talking about River of Teeth specifically. And for our factions, we have... The names are so good in this. We have Winslow Remington Houndstooth. We have Regina Archambault, also known as Artie, or Archie, sorry. Uh, Hero Shackleby, Cal Hotchkiss, Adelia Reyes, Neville, Ruby, Rosa, and Abigail. The last three of those are hippos. Um, yeah. Okay. For our first topic, we have Neville and Death. Um, yeah, so that's what happens to Neville. Uh, Neville is a kid. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of things with Neville that I want to kind of make a note of. Mm-hmm. Whether or not we end up discussing them more in depth, either way, I think it's important to note them. First yeah. off, Neville is not a fully grown adult participating in this, <laughs> I was going to call it an adventure, this job that everybody else is doing. Instead, the operation, this operation, this caper, um, Neville found Adelia and essentially asked to go along with her and maybe be her apprentice, her helper, her assistant. And it's, it's important to note that this is somebody who, you know, saw his hero and said, you, I want to go with you and be your assistant. I want to learn from you. And then he he almost exists. Um, it, it feels like he exists when we need him. <laughs> mm-hmm. He doesn't really do anything. Like he very clearly has agency, but he doesn't really do much. So he he joins up with the group, and then he is the reason that they have like this tiny little piece of information. And then he dies. 
Yep. And that's kind of everything. And it it's very this not he's not just a plot device to character. He's like a I only had one job for you ac- for you to accomplish character. Yeah. Not even an escort mission. Like it wasn't their job to escort him. Yeah. He just uh, tags along it, in terms of like in the narrative he, what he feels like he, cannon fodder except that's not yeah. how this book is but he still what, feels like that <laughs> he he as far as we can tell or at least as far as i can tell he he exists to make sure that we take the feral hippos seriously as a real threat yeah and we don't feel like the main characters have invincible plot armor um so it's like oh no yeah, all the hippos they're riding, tame, don't worry about it. The pharaoh hippos will eat a child. Um, and, uh, and to demonstrate I, this child. <laughs> a, a thing that, as far as I know, happened in, in the real world after this book came out, but before I reread it for this episode, was like a story about someone who had like raised a hippo and then like his own hippo killed him later because um yeah, don't don't take this this series as a guide for how you can act around real hippos. Yeah. That this is the degree to which this is fantasy is that Ruby is not going to eat houndstooth ever um but yeah please please don't take this as a guide about how you could act around a, a hippo that you have raised ah oh, but what a world it'd be so cool if you could but you can't um anyway so a yeah neville kind of exists in the narrative to make sure that we take the pharaoh hippos very very seriously even as the other hippos like have names and breeds and coloration and personalities. Um, they're not anthropomorphized much. Um, they're almost treated like horses. Yes. They're treated like I, predator horses. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's even though hippos like, aren't necessarily predators. Like that's not why I mean, they it's hippo ranching. It's more like, yeah, it's, you know, yeah, I think horses are a good analog. Or like, if you also used, also rode cattle in order to herd but, the cattle. Except like, that you don't, but, which is why I think horses, especially because it's like, all right, yeah. I'm gonna put you out in the pasture. Okay, go have fun. <laughs> Come back yeah. when I call you. You can follow directions, etc. Here's your wallow. Go for it. Yeah. Play nice with the other kids. Though even, uh, I mean, we're specifically talking about Neville, but I was just thinking of. Uh, with Neville being used to make sure we take the feral hippos seriously, there is a, a a dog that dies off screen in the service of making sure we don't forget that the protagonist's hippos are creatures who can be deadly and should be taken seriously. <laughs> They're just not going to bite the main characters. That is a good point. So it he's not the only uh, being who in the novel or in the in the novella serves that purpose mm-hmm. um, but, but he is much more memorable and we actually like get a little bit more of a depiction but that's almost uh, worse because our two mm-hmm. people our two living creatures that serve that purpose are yeah. this underage kid and then a dog yep that's that's not better <laughs> no i i was just thinking of how like yeah it makes sure that we take 
them seriously. Um, but also, like, the bit with the dog is, is like, well, uh, your dog must have been annoying my hippo. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> like, maybe oh, okay. fair point, but this is an unfair matchup. And it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, they don't, like, they really don't talk about Neville at all after he dies. And, um, and like Adelia, okay, not that as a person you have to care more about children just because you're pregnant, but in a narrative that involves a person who is pregnant, and then like the follow up novella will have like a bunch of stuff with her child, it is more striking, I think, with how quickly Neville vanishes off the page. Well, and I mean, even. Even without that, yeah, the way that they treated, just from my personal like experience in reading and the things that I, the, the language in, like American fiction that I kind of at least at the very bare minimum that I kind of you know conventionally expect the storytelling tools that we like use over and over and over, the way that they just kind of went shrug oh well goodbye and then never thought about him ever again i if i didn't if robin hadn't already told me what this book was <laughs> mm-hmm. this would feel very much like almost a villain origin story where they had good intentions at the start because the characters just don't care and that's not always this is going to sound very, maybe a little bit out of context, and I realize that, but not having an outward reaction to losing even a person um, does not make you a villain in real life. Mm-hmm. But in fiction, it is a very good kind of tool to tell the, your reader that your characters just don't care, even when there are major consequences, unless if those consequences don't affect them. Because in fiction, we expect to find out what our characters are actually feeling and thinking. It's not that, you know, in real life, if somebody doesn't react outwardly, that doesn't actually mean anything. But in fiction, we are explicitly being told what is happening most of the time, including in their own head and their own experiences. And when we get nothing, if Robin hadn't hadn't given me the heads up on just a little bit of the story, because Robin has been talking about to me about this book for a couple years Mm -hmm. then this would have felt more like characters were were not more callous but less um like i was supposed to feel less positively about them but nothing else in the book makes you think that way so it's almost out of character for them to just not care well the other way that i would couch it is they're in a very dangerous high body count profession both by ranching hippos and for those of them who are like you know explosive experts and assassins so i i but think a, but again first for at least again american storytelling language sure generally sure. when you're when you see people who are in professions like that that have similar things instead what you notice is that they have like preset rituals for mm-hmm. acknowledging that thing. It's not that they yes. just quit caring over time. It's that 
humans are empathetic and writers care about that. And so when somebody, when you lose people or characters habitually in your star, in your story, you don't find characters that just shrug and go, oh, well, <laughs> unless there's something else we're supposed to learn about them. Instead, the, the more common typical narrative is that they will have a book of names or they will have a thing that they throw in the fire to every time there's a death or they will just go around and talk about you know the the loss of that life or there there will be something yeah like some kind of ritual of grief and whether literally any kind of cathartic grief ceremony even if it is tiny and small and personal and in this book we get kind of a shrug and like well goodbye (laughs) and that's it and i think that just I mean, in in my opinion, like reading it, that just felt so, it felt so out of character for the passion about everything else that these characters talk about, I guess. Yeah, I, I, very very stark. I'm unsurprised that Adelia didn't do anything. I'm unsurprised. Adelia, I'm I'm not surprised about it at all. uh, (laughs) It's the other people. didn't do anything. Cal is so much of an odorous person that I (laughs) feel like I should be more surprised that he didn't really do anything. I don't, was he trapped? Was he at that event with them? Uh, I don't think that, I don't think he was there. I don't remember. No, I I don't, I don't think he was because he traveled separately with them. Some anyway, I can't remember whether he was there at that particular event, but even if he, whether or not he was, if he had been, I would be unsurprised by him not having much of a thing. I'm a little bit more surprised about Houndstooth and a little bit more surprised about Archie. But, like, you know, it is the, uh, one way to look at it would be that it, it's a, it is setting the tone for how they're interacting with death as an idea which then forms this contrast with stuff in in the second novella but um i don't know i don't know if that was the intention so okay so the name of this topic is betrayal and i would like to say that it is a lot closer to curses your curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal because <laughs> she like she adelia literally says that her job is to kill them if they stray and they're like ah oh, you're so funny and she wasn't joking they're literally like they're so funny stray from which thing exactly and she just kind of was like well that's a mystery for me to know and you to find out maybe not like better for you if you never find out but uh yeah so yeah (sighs) yeah um i i i like adelia as a character i will say that like a lot of my good feelings for her come from uh her continued appearance in a taste of marrow but uh what we do get of her in River of Teeth is is pretty good. Um, yeah, she. This is, in terms of like literally what Adelia does, she is hired by somebody else to be on their team to make sure that they do what that person wants them to do. 
the the trick is that what that person wants them to do isn't quite exactly what they thought they were being hired for. And so literally doing exactly what they were hired for still isn't enough to keep someone from wanting to kill them, which to me uh, seems kind of bad and underhanded. That's def- that's at least the way I read the tangle of stuff in there. Does that fit with your reading of it, Nikki? Um, it doesn't conflict. Yeah. <laughs> I think... It it doesn't conflict. I think I maybe had different nuance on well, it reading it, but I also read it. I I also read books that have more of characters similar to her in them than you do. I think maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm bringing in like additional thought free preformed thought processes about those kinds of characters. Yeah. So, I I mean that I, doesn't mean that. I'm more right. No, so, no, no, no. Yeah. It, it's just, it, I feel like for me, it was a little bit of a different flavor. Uh, mm-hmm. She she felt to me like a character that was, I, I mean, okay, I have not read book two. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, well, no, that's not true. I have now. Hold on. Yeah. No, because my book is literally them all in one book, by the way. Yeah, we read American Hippo rather than the separate yeah. As published the separate novellas. Yeah. So I feel like even from the beginning, this character really felt to me like, I don't know, they have the air of, of an actual professional, <laughs> except mm-hmm. then at the beginning, they've got a little bit of this like, I'm, you know, swinging my way, grifting through life kind of a feel. And it, it, it very much, it very much feels like a, an archetypal assassin but not maybe not maybe one who's gonna get reality checked later <laughs> i guess yeah. if that makes sense yeah like she she's here to do one thing she's extremely good at that thing and she's mostly waiting around to see if she's gonna do that one thing or not but she's also maybe a little bit impulsive mm-hmm. that was that was the feel that i had from like the very good in the very intro scene with her um was that like she knows what she's doing, but if she thinks there's a reasonable outcome, she's willing to like roll the dice on that like remaining percentage that she could have been more cautious on. And then it was funny because that was my original impression of her, and then we get to the the actual betrayal scene and she messes up. <laughs> and it was mm-hmm. like, well, there we go. Like, maybe you shouldn't have monologued. Maybe you should have just been quieter and sneakier about this. Maybe you should have waited for, like, ten more seconds and then done it when this person wasn't even looking and couldn't recover. And But no, that didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. But I also like, I really like how the the other characters, I think we see, I'm trying to remember now if it's all of them or just a couple of them, where we see, like, these moments where they just kind of have this internal, like, hmm... Why is Adelia here? <laughs> and we have the out loud moment with one of them where, you know, he says, why Why are you helping us? Why are you in this group? Why are you doing this? And she's like, well, you know, I am here to kill all of you. And he's like, ha, 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 ha. But even They're outside funny. of that, like, we see other characters kind of looking at her and going, this is too convenient. <laughs> why are mm-hmm. we doing this this way? And one 
one of the things I'm trying to double check really quick. We in River of Teeth, we don't. So that this is kind of um, it's told in a third person uh, rotating perspective thing. So, you know, then we have various people who are being followed. And as we're following each one, we get what they are thinking. But they're not using like I and me and my for the narration. Right. I hope that makes sense. Um, and I, unless I'm woefully misremembering, I don't think we ever have a Delia's perspective. Like, I think, like, we even get Cal, but we don't get Adelia. And right. I, th- like, especially because it is this, like, third person rotating omniscient deal um or not uh, rotating in each individual thing they're not omniscient you only really get one person's thoughts at a time anyway this third person rotating perspective because there are like enough characters it makes it easy to not realize hey but i don't know what adelia is thinking and you know taste of marrow we get a bunch of her perspective but when when we you know in in the gap between hey yeah my job's to kill you if you stray and no seriously i told you that was my job like in (laughs) in that gap like we we don't have her thoughts and i think that like i the first time i read it i made it to the end and i was like oh wait no yeah we didn't know what she was thinking and i think it works really well and it helps like um it work it works in the narrative really well. I like it very much as a narrative choice because the other characters also don't spend a ton of time wondering about what she's thinking. Right. And right. because they're not passing. wondering about it and we don't have her thoughts on it, the net effect it it's not even don't look there, don't worry about it. It just doesn't come up. I also um, really like narratively the way the internal monologues are done because mm-hmm. we get Adelia from Adelia's perspective when we meet her mm-hmm. and then I think never again yeah. yeah that seems right because we have her looking at the kid and so it feels much more like an introduction to the kid well and we have her like pre-job so any of the yeah. details that we would have any little tiny clues from her internal thoughts or behavior that we would have that the author would have needed to try to hide from us in some way or explain away or whatever. We just don't need to do that because she doesn't actually have anything displayed on screen after the job starts. So all of her little like reveals of things where she's the one with the answer, we don't get any forewarning on that. Uh, and technically, we the, again, the only forewarning on the betrayal we have is her saying, I am the person to do it. And the other everybody else is like, sure, Jan. And but that's that I really like it narratively as a setup because this is an internal monologue character viewpoint book. So we are expecting to hear from our characters. We are expecting them to drive the action, so to speak, or expecting them to be our point of view. And I didn't even realize until I finished the book that Adelia in that first, well, finished that first section that Adelia only had that one 
segment. It's yep. so smooth and it's not a rotating basis like other some other books have done. So you don't yeah. notice that she's out of she's missing in the order. You know, we we sometimes will flip back and forth. We'll have character one, character two, character one again, and then character three. Like it, there's no real rhythm to it, and so the feeling that we've already heard from her kind of lingers reading it, and then you get to the end and you go, "Oh no, I actually didn't. I heard from her once, and then I heard from everybody else several times." And, and I, also- I just think it's very well done. And it's a novella, which lets a trick yeah. like that like work. And, yeah. Like, yeah, because it's not, you know, this 400 is not an pages and page. we haven't heard from Adelia again. It's, right. This know. is not 800 pages. This is not like the whole group splitting up and we just never hear from her part. Like that doesn't happen. They are all together. It is pretty short. It is very succinct. They're all s- supposedly working toward the same goal. Like there isn't really a moment where you're like, wait, why aren't we hearing from you? Like, that doesn't happen. Not only is it not 800 pages, the entire omnibus of both novellas and a couple of short stories barely cracks 300 pages. So, (laughs) yeah. Actually, let me double check and see. In my copy, book two starts on page 137. So it is literally less than 150 pages. Yep. Very good. Like it a lot. It's nice to read novellas. On to Cal and mutilation. Okay, so this is... This is going to tangentially talk... uh, Cal's arc um, tangentially talks... Or touches on uh, addiction. I would just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not our main topic for him, but that is absolutely at play, and we understand that that is a major factor in what happens here. So, mm-hmm. um, he gets his ear cut off as punishment for cheating while gambling. Uh, he's got, like, extra like literally extra cards up his sleeve and his his ear is cut off as a warning and he's literally told like this is your second strike i don't do third strikes like you don't you don't live after strike three that's it um and as we have mentioned in one of the other sections this is a novella this is pretty short this is like over a I don't know if we said this exactly, but this it's over a couple of days. Oh, and in yeah. that couple of days, he has strike two where his ear gets cut off. And then he does it again and he gets killed. And in the narrative, it messes up their mission because now they don't have um, now they don't have a, a white guy because they they need one for like certain kinds of social currency um, to make the their this heist caper operation whatever easier, um, and they have like a there's someone who was expecting to have been in correspondence with some white guy, and they need you know someone in the group to do that, and so they they figure it out in the narrative, but like I don't know, it, Cal. 
there's there's a lot of really complicated feelings from the people who are left about Cal. I think in a way that downplays what actually happened to him. Yeah. Like, because uh, there's there's even you know the discussion after he is dead that maybe he was responsible or implicated in something really bad that had happened to Houndstooth years ago. But because by this point Cal is dead, like, they don't get to find out for sure or ask him or talk about it or anything. And so we kind of have this arc of this person is probably addicted to gambling um, and cheating at gambling, which aren't necessarily the same thing. Um, Let's say aren't the same thing, rather. Um, He keeps cheating and then he gets killed for it. And the main focus is, all right, how does this mess up the heist? Right. (laughs) See, this is what I was saying in part one with like characters reactions to like losing people. Mm hmm. There's no even acknowledgement of that. Like, I just, I, I, it feels very odd to me. Yeah. As somebody who habitually reads books where characters do not outwardly mourn, even so, it still feels like it's, it's odd to me. Yeah. And the, the scene where, like, the scenes with Cal are are not the only, but, like, some of the most, like, riveting and, like, vibrantly described right. scenes. And, like, there's, like, emotion and terror and things. And then, or it, when he is mutilated, there's a, there's a lot. Yeah. But then when he actually gets killed... It's like, well, we have fed another to the feral hippos now. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, great. Thanks. Hey, I'm noticing a commonality in the characters. I mean, most people who, who die end up getting eaten by feral hippos. That is just like a thing in this. Just kind of a lot. Um, I don't know. I, I have... It's weird because, like, I picked Cal for, like, the biggest, most traumatic topic that we want to talk about. But because of how little it's emphasized and given emotional weight in the narrative, it does make it harder to have something coherent to say about it. I think it's... It is interesting to point out the contrast between, I mean, already we've kind of kind of said like they have a similar, other characters have a similar reaction to their, their, their peril, their danger. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's important to point out like, as far as w- emphasis put in the narrative and how much life the character gets and how much we see who the character is, this is almost the polar opposite of Neville. Yeah. So on the one hand, Neville has like two lines 
and no scenes and no character arc and no extrapolation and no nothing. Cal has all of it. And it's just, it's a very, it's a very stark contrast to me, especially because they both end the same way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I almost wonder if just the author doesn't like writing that kind, that kind of character reaction. That's not fair to say without like reading more of their work, but like, Mm -hmm. having said all of that out loud, I wonder if that's an, an author thing, not a... I mean, this was this was published five years ago, and so Mm. whether or not this was how they approached it at that time, I don't know how much. I don't know. I mean, frankly, I wouldn't necessarily expect the same tone. Like, I I have read later things from them that were not like this. Oh, okay. So but maybe, I will say that I think the Western adjacent dystopia novella that I read from them mm-hmm. is a little bit closer to this. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if it's a um they have certain themes in common. And right. I think that might be more of it that it's this the this like their take on this particular kind of emotional landscape more so than like saying that it's an author preference writ large. I was just speculating because yeah, sometimes, sometimes authors have things like that where it's just a thing that they like or feel comfortable writing in a certain way. Oh yeah. But, but yeah, you've read, you've read more of their works than me. So if that is not true, then that makes sense. Yeah. The other um, Western-inspired dystopia is Upright Women Wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Like it. Um, and then uh, the book that is very, very different from this and has oh, way more thoughts about <laughs> death is The Echo Wife. That is okay. sci-fi. It's a thriller. I, I really like it. It also feels very, very different from American Hippo. Gotcha. Um, from River of Teeth. Uh, do we have anything more we want to say on Cal? I think we've just evolved into talking about. Yeah, other I think <laughs> unfortunately, I think that's it for Cal because there's not other than like what I, what I will say is it doesn't seem it because of the way discussion of his possible past betrayal only happens as far as i remember after he dies Hmm. i i don't given the source of like the information i don't know how much i trust that that's actually what happened Mm. and i don't know like there's a bit of it that this part of me that's like Maybe they just blamed it on the dead guy. And I don't know. But (laughs) that doesn't feel out of character. Um, And it, it narratively, it kind of like redirected some anger that was going on. And I don't know, it, it, to me, there's the possibility that he wasn't actually, um, involved in the thing but also like where he 
ends up in the situation that he's in when this slice of the story begins is consistent with that trajectory so you know it could go either way i just i just think it's interesting it does feel a little bit like we pinned it on the dead guy oh yeah that's fair yeah because if it's true it's a good time to say it if it's not it's a really smart lie in this particular circumstance Can you believe we've been friends for seven years? And it all started because I compared you to Alana the Lioness. Tamara Pierce really set the tone of our friendship. A love of magic. Briar Moss. Fantasy. Briar Moss. Powerful women. And of course, Briar Moss. Moss. I'm Anna. And I'm MJ. And we invite you to join our circle of friendship. Where we do a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Circle of Magic series by Tamara Pierce. We answer important questions like, how does Moonstream let certain dedicates take care of children? Can you imagine anyone else but Mandy Patinkin playing Nico? Knives, Briar. And Knives! Join us every other Monday at cofpodcast.libsyn.com or wherever you download podcasts. But seriously, Knives... On to the wrap-up and ratings for River of Teeth. For the gratuity rating for death. This, this very specific death is... Uh, doesn't... I think most of the deaths in this don't really have active gore, but I think they're, they're moderate... It's like, there's like a bunch of them, but no details. And the, the particular one that we discuss in this section follows that trend. Yeah. Is that- it's very, it's very much thing happened, they died. Mm-hmm. And I mean, maybe it's a little more than, I, I honestly think for gratuity, this is maybe as mild as you can get, especially with the aftermath that we talked about. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead and say mild or moderate? I think mild. <laughs> okay. I'll say this particular death is mild. There's a there's a bunch of deaths. I, I do want to say, though, that, yeah. like, if anybody is reading this and is more... If it makes if a difference, more, this is a child death. And it, we'll, you know, well, mark that appropriately in the content warnings. Well, I, I was going to even say, if you have taken more of, like, um, an emotional impact from descriptions of the hippos so far, mm-hmm. this might be more than mild. It might be moderate. But yeah. if you just kind of go, ah, hippo danger, got it, then it's gonna be more mild so i i because I, I think that the the descriptions of the of the hip of the dangers of the hippos kind of feed uh-huh. into that how you're supposed to feel this feels but like i i don't actually know i almost want to say it, it's moderate if that is true but the actual impact of the actual event itself i think is mild i don't know uh-huh. it's a little bit of a complicated one for me yeah all right for betrayal. Okay, so 
I I think this is also maybe mild <laughs> or moderate. Yeah, what I will say though is that the um or maybe moderate taken with more care and we'll talk about that. I, okay, I, what I will say is I think this is moderate with the proviso that all of book 2 is the grief, whiplash and emotional baggage from this betrayal. Oh, uh, okay. Like literally all of Taste of Marrow. The That's like, fair. That's what that is. And so if you stop here, it stays mild to moderate. But if you would like to know what happens next, what happens is someone is very, very upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. But th- it, for this piece of it, yes, we're just yes. saying moderate. For this particular part of it, moderate. Um, Just, you know, don't expect that to continue. Do read the second part. Um. But, uh, and then for the mutilation, um, I think moderate or severe, maybe moderate. I'm going to, I would actually say, I think I'd say severe with care. I'd say severe. (laughs) Yeah. Severe. And then, yeah, with the care rating will mitigate it slightly. But yeah, I think the actual descriptions are, um, they're very explicit. Yes. Very explicit. Um, and, uh, Meant to instill terror. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. In the character or in us mm-hmm. or both, whichever. Yeah. Then is it integral, interchangeable, or irrelevant? I think the child death is irrelevant. I, yep, yep, it, yep, it's irrelevant. Um, I think the betrayal for this particular, for just River of Teeth, the betrayal I think is interchangeable. Hmm. Yeah. Like it, it shapes the entire direction of taste of marrow, but, but like if that one. weren't what happened, taste of marrow could have been some other book. Right. Right. But for river of teeth itself, I think it's interchangeable. Like, yeah. Mutilation. I, mean, I think betrayal is... fits completely in a caper heist story. It's just, right. you know, didn't have to be this one. Didn't have to be this way. Et cetera, right. et cetera. I think the mutilation is irrelevant also. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Cal. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, part of its irrelevance is because it doesn't change a trajectory. And Um, it doesn't even really seem to impact him. Yeah. It's like it happens, he's sad, and then we don't even and we don't even have weirdest, evidence of him like recovering or having to the adjust. The weirdest part for me is no one asked about it. Like I don't want to no say one more says but anything. Like, this yeah. this thing this thing happens and it's a thing that would be like visible to anyone looking at him and no one asks about it. It doesn't even say and he had a scarf around his head so that no one would but like no, nothing. And just no one notices. Yeah, so I will definitely go with you for irrelevant. Unfortunately for Cal. All right, care. Uh, I I think the child death is treated with care. I think maybe enough or yes. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna say enough because I I think it. It either wasn't actually heading for care and I'm misreading it, or it did, but it aired on the side of so little examination that it makes it feel like it didn't matter. 
Yeah, I think. And because I think I'm going to go with. I think I agree. I think enough because I think for it to have been yes, we would have need catharsis, but we didn't get Uh that. Yeah, we don't. Then the betrayal. I don't think the betrayal is handled with care. You don't? Or, okay, wait. Sorry, I'm trying to think. What were your thoughts on it? Uh, my thoughts are that if you saw it coming a mile away, then it was treated with either a lot of care or very little to no care. And mm-hmm. if you were blindsided completely by it, it was treated with no care. <laughs> or not, maybe not no care, but maybe like not enough care. Yeah. I don't know. I think it depends on how much you actually care about them succeeding, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, I, I did. And I, I don't really. This is a curse or sudden but inevitable t- betrayal situation. Like, it, yeah. it it is. And I don't. I really don't feel like it's a spoiler to say that. It just telegraphed a mile off. Um, but also not given much weight. Um, yeah. So, like. I. I, I really, really. I'll return to what I said before, which is I don't think it was treated with care. Um, I don't. There, the the previous years ago thing that we have alluded to is treated with so much more care and is a similar. It has similarities in what kind of trauma it is, and and the amount of care that that is treated with in the same story, yeah. I think, separates it out for me to say, no, the particular betrayal that we're talking about really, really isn't treated with care. Um, then for the mutilation... So we just said no for betrayal? Yeah. Okay. For mutilation, I think also maybe either enough or not enough? I was, yeah, somewhere. I'm going to say probably not enough. Air on the side like, of not enough? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it. this isn't the book about processing emotions about things. No, like, that's fair. That's what a taste of marrow is for. River of teeth. The guns blazing. We're a heistin. Let's go. <laughs> um, hippos ready. Like it's 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 a it's it's a it's a bloody romp, and then you get to the end, and you're like, oh my. God. Goodness, is that what happened to everybody? <laughs> um, um, let's so moral directionality. Of, well, uh, this is point a, of view. Oh no, moral directionality is first. Oh, okay. Um, um hmm. so that's a newer rating for us. Our categories are clear, muddy, or tangled. Clear would be there's like a particular feel to the book of like this is the right thing this is what ought to be happening this thing is clearly wrong and there's like only one kind of voice like that muddy is like i can't even tell what the book wants me to think tangled is 
there's a bunch of different clearly held and probably contradictory thoughts about what is the right thing to have happened. And yeah. So um, I think what do you think for this one? I think clear. I think, I think we are told that our main characters are right and that they're doing the right thing and that it will be awful if they don't succeed. I, I, and also they are told like, we are, we are very clearly told through the narrative, like, the person they are up against is wrong, and here's all the ways that that person is bad and mm-hmm. wrong, and they're also told that maybe the people that hired them are bad and wrong, or maybe they're right, but, like, the point is that the main characters are stalwart and true, and yep, will make the right choice because they have good intentions and revenge in their hearts, like... Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know revenge is one of the good intentions, yeah. Yeah, so uh, whether or not you actually agree that they are correct, the book very clearly tells you this the they are the right the only right ones in the scenario for sure and and that's part of what makes the betrayal more yeah like more frustrating Yeah. yeah so you know i think i think it is pretty clear i think um i think again that like whether or not you actually agree with them in your own personal opinion i think that the book is very solid on that this is correct yeah. Even if they're not 100% sure how, what to do and how to do it, they are the ones making the moral choice and if, you know, we're we're led to follow them. Mhm. The the moral directionality of the book's universe aligns generally speaking with their actions. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean right. it, and and clear is not a rating that means like our main characters have to be right. I mean the clear is oh, no. to be to be <laughs> clear uh is that that rating is is about there's an implied the, right direction. Yeah, there like, is an implied correct and incorrect one. choice that they mm-hmm. made. Um, and I, I think that it places a lot of emphasis on them. And it can derive tension from that. like feeling like someone made the wrong one, but it's right. the wrong one. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay, so clear moral directionality. All right, for point of view, as we discussed a little bit in one of the individual sections, this is a third-person rotating perspective um, I'm just going to say rotating when I'm writing this down. Yeah. All right, Uh, for the... Trope spotter. Okay, so trope spotter for this is ascended to carnivorism. Um, <laughs> everything Google can tell me says that hippos are herbivores. Everything in this yeah. book says no, 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 no. Whatever. They, they totally eat meat, and if they're feral, they will absolutely munch a human. I mean, um, like to be fair. In real life, they'll, hippos they'll absolutely will people. attack and kill humans, but, but it's not because like they're hungry. <laughs> yeah, it's a territory thing. Um, a a uh, control of the area of play thing. But um, yeah, in this, no, they're 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 carnivores, or possibly it's like feral hippos are carnivores, and domestic hippos are omnivores. In this book, is definitely the way it it seems. Um, yeah, I I I was 
It's always fun when there's like already a TV tropes page for the particular book. <laughs> and I just saw ascended to carnivorous and I'm like, oh, that is that is such a good trope name. Uh, oh, so so ascend to carnivorism is when like the real thing doesn't eat meat, but as like rule of cool for the story, they do basically. Uh, favorite non-traumatic thing about the book? What's yours? Uh, I'm a huge fan of how much the way hippos are talked about and the way that piranhas are talked about in the U.S. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very funny. I think I <laughs> I played a, a sort of a mental game with myself at one point reading this. How many times can I swap out the word hippo for piranha and have it make sense? <laughs> yeah. And I think it's great. I don't know if that was like an inspiration, but like <laughs> it made sense. Yeah. Now that that Particularly uh... the wild hippos. Yes. Yeah, no they they do they do absolutely serve the same narrative function that piranhas might <laughs> in another story. Uh it's just, it's just yeah. so funny. Actually, can I? You tell me your. You say yours, and I'm going to try and find a good sentence for this that's in the beginning of the book. Okay, sure. Uh, all right. So mine, uh, Hero Shackleby. Hero is great, and the way, um, Hero's identity and pronouns and everything are handled is like really subtle and cool. And there's a moment where. They're like, okay, we've got to get this maybe transphobic conversation out of the way. What are you going to say, new person that I'm suddenly going to be working with? And the other person is like, asks a completely different question that has nothing to do with that and is like a completely reasonable and non-transphobic question to ask about a different thing. And it's it's really nice because it's like... rejecting the offered okay i can take the emotional burden of your questions at this time and it's like nah i'm i'm good i didn't have any other questions about it why would someone have a question about that um yeah it's it's nice i i like hero i i like i don't know i really like characters who wield poison and uh, so that was uh, also narratively endearing to me uh, with Hero. Did you find your example of the I hippos? did. I am going to edit it slightly because there is some language that might get us kicked off of iTunes. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't, I don't want it to be just me reading for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so some highlights. These are all from like the same page and a half in the beginning mm-hmm. of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, who let a piranha loose in a private marsh (laughs) (laughs) that dog out there is yours who let you on a hopper ranch anyway dog eating did you say that's right that monster of yours done ate my petunia (laughs) and what was your petunia doing in a private marsh certainly not helping you hunt ducks on private property I would hope skip over everybody being shocked uh that's none of your business what's my what's your business is that my petunia's dead because of your your piranha <laughs> so this is if we said piranha instead of hippo yeah that's great 
And, My and only- to be clear, that that exchange is about a um a quote unquote tame hippo, not a wild one. Yeah. It's very funny. My my only objection is I don't know if that counts as a non-dramatic thing about oh, well. the book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um That's a f- but I fair generally speaking. It was non-traumatic to me. No, okay, I'll get I'll, I'll let me let me see if I have a non an actual non-traumatic one. Um Am I not? <laughs> Yeah, that's know. the thing. Any all of the good you could have put the word piranha here. That's that's not gonna be non traumatic, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think if I have another one and I don't I don't know if the I the mental do. game of swapping out the words sounds like great fun. It's hilarious. I'm so glad you uh enjoyed it in that manner. Because if you put if you put like horse when they're mm-hmm. riding them as right. steeds and then you put piranha in all of their circumstances. It just, it's amazing. <laughs> nice. This is not a thing my brain usually does with books either, uh-huh. <laughs> but it was just very funny in this case. I oh, yeah. Okay. Non-traumatic. I like the tiny details of caring for their equipment, set up, take down, how they're writing the fact that they have different writing styles i like i like the tiny little character details that give you information about how these characters handle daily life without that being the story there we go that's not traumatic so uh thank you so much for joining us again this was about river of teeth which is the first of two novellas that are available either separately or as an omnibus collection, American Hippo, which also has some short stories. That is the way. If you if you think you want to read this, I do recommend reading it that way. Yeah. We just wanted to focus our discussion a little bit by just talking about the first novella. Especially because they are sold separately. They are sold Mm -hmm. separately. So like we want you to feel like you can pick up literally just the first book. Yeah. Read that and want. know what you're getting into. Yeah. I am glad that it is available as a collection, especially like with the extra stories. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch you in a fortnight. All music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. Our transcriptionist is Heather. Follow her on Twitter at MamaDragon20. We're proud members of the Certain Point of View Network. Find all the CPOV shows at www.certainpov.com. You can contact us on Twitter at Books That Burn or by email at booksthatburn at yahoo.com. Please consider leaving us a tip at ko-fi.com slash booksthatburn or becoming a monthly supporter on patreon.com slash books that burn all patrons get access to our upcoming book list bonus content including the second half of all interviews and will receive a one-time shout out to get updates on our written reviews recent episodes and newly completed transcripts subscribe to our fortnightly newsletter at buttondown.email slash books that burn you can find us on apple Podcasts, pandora spotify or wherever you get your podcasts please leave us a review wherever you're listening this helps people to find the show thanks for listening we'll be back in two weeks